0: I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, if you did open up your Bible at home, please keep that open now because we're about to consider these very, very important verses. I want to start by asking a question. If I was to tell you that there was a small group of men and they were about to completely turn the world upside down, I wonder what sort of picture might you have in your head? Maybe you would imagine a great gang of really charismatic people, the sort of people who who give speeches, who electrify crowds, who go toe to toe in debates with politicians and and put them in their place. What you wouldn't expect are 10 men sitting in a locked room, far too frightened to open the door because they're scared of who might be inside, or outside rather, and yet That's exactly what we have in this chapter. Notice where these men are in verse 19. They're together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And you know to be perfectly fair we can understand why they're frightened can't we? If it was us in that situation I'm sure we'd be doing exactly the same thing. We'd have the doors locked because we'd be terrified about what these men might do to us. And yet We read that verse, verse 19, and we can't help but think to ourselves, Surely this is not the way that this is supposed to be. I mean, how are these people supposed to change the world if they're hiding behind locked doors? I mean, Surely there is something that is fundamentally wrong in this passage. These men have got the very message that the world desperately needs to hear. And yet, where is this message? It's locked up inside this room. You know, it's like living in a country that is ravaged by famine, and there is this enormous stockpile of food, but it's inside a bank vault. It's locked up, and there's no way of getting it out. And that's what's happening in John chapter 20. There are people outside of that room and they are hungry. They are ravenous for salvation. There are people who are absolutely starved of hope. And these men in that room, they have the very thing that the world so desperately needs. They have the message of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, having conquered Satan, sin and death. But as it stands, the message going nowhere. And so we want to look at this passage, we want to see some of the transformation of these disciples, but I also want us to realise that in some ways we can be just like these men. County Donegal is famished. It's famished. People are starving for the truth. People are perishing Because they can't find the truth or they don't hear the truth. The people around us desperately, desperately need to know about Jesus. They need to know about the salvation that comes from trusting in his name. And yet, isn't there the danger that you and I, we have the good news. And we keep it locked up. We keep it inside where no one is able to find it. Maybe we're like the disciples. We're scared. Not scared for our lives, perhaps, but scared of how other people might react. Scared of people thinking that we're a wee bit nuts. Scared of brothers or sisters or friends rolling their eyes. Scared of parents being disappointed. Thinking that you've Turned your back on your upbringing. Scared of colleagues or classmates thinking you've been brainwashed. Sometimes when we're scared, we keep the gospel locked up inside. And I want us all to see this morning that there is something that is utterly wrong about that. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if he has put death itself to death and we keep that locked up, Well there's something tragically wrong. But I've got good news and the good news is this. Those doors in verse 19, they cannot do a single thing to keep Jesus locked out. Notice what happens. Notice how Jesus appears in the room as if the doors weren't there in the first place. But more than that, Notice how Jesus makes sure that those doors, not only can they not keep him out, but they can't actually keep the gospel in. Because Jesus changes these men. He transforms these men so that they open the doors, so they head out into the world, and so they bring the bread of life to people who are starving to death. And the encouragement I want us to see this morning Is that Jesus does exactly the same thing for us. So we want to come and see how Jesus unlocks the doors and there are five things that we see uh, this this morning. Uh, don't pay any attention to the grey and the black, that's a mistake on my part. We have five main points. The first one we're going to spend quite a chunk of time on and the rest will all be a little bit shorter. But the first thing we see is that Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives peace. Now you can understand why these men are so scared. Just think of all the things they've seen over the last number of days. They have seen a bunch of soldiers taking Jesus away. They have seen them torturing Jesus to death. And they know that if they aren't careful, there's every chance that they might just be next. I mean, just imagine what it must have been like to be inside that locked room. Imagine standing there with your ear to the door, and every time you hear someone's footsteps outside, you're petrified. You're terrified because you don't know who it is, and you're waiting for the knock on the door. And so, how apt is it that Jesus greets these men in verse 19 by saying peace be with you. And we know, by the way, that this is important. We know that it's more than just a way of saying hello, because Jesus actually repeats this three times. He says it in verse 19. He says it in verse 21. And then if you've got a Bible open, have a look at next week's passage. He says it again in verse 26. And surely peace Is the very thing that these men need. I mean for one thing they're terrified about what's coming next. Who's going to knock on the door? But not just that, there are other things inside their minds, inside their souls that are causing an incredible amount of turmoil. Think of Peter for example. Peter's maybe thinking to himself, why? Why did I do what I did? Why did I deny Jesus? How could I do something so unbelievably callous to someone who loves me so much? Maybe Peter's thinking to himself, How can I ever be forgiven for what I've done to Jesus? Maybe some of the other disciples, they're not just as convinced as Peter and John that Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, can you imagine how their minds must have been in turmoil? I mean, what have I done? I have spent three years getting my hopes up that Jesus is the Messiah, and now he's dead. What if I was wrong? What if I have wasted three years of my life? What if I have made all of those sacrifices, and it's all for nothing? these men are in turmoil. And so how does Jesus greet them? With peace. You know, I love how J.C. Ryle puts this. He says that Jesus gave them peace, not blame, peace, not fault finding, peace, not rebuke. And I wonder how many of these men, whenever Jesus greeted them by saying, peace be with you, I wonder how many of them thought back in their minds to just a few nights before, whenever Jesus promised that he would give them peace. Maybe they thought of um, John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And maybe a few nights before, those words didn't mean all that much. But now, in verse 20, what does Jesus do? Well, he shows them the proof, doesn't he, that what he said was true. He shows them his hands and his side. He shows them his scars, the proof that in this world they will have trouble. But the very fact that Jesus is standing there in that room and he's not lying in a grave. That's the proof that he has overcome the world. That's the proof that Jesus gives real peace. And this peace that Jesus gives is going to unlock the door. It is going to drive these men to take the message of peace to the world around them. And, and let me say to you this morning, do you want to be zealous? Do you want to be passionate about sharing the message of the gospel? Good. But to be passionate, you have to experience this peace for yourself. You have to take your troubled mind to Jesus. You have to take your doubts and your regrets to Jesus. You have to take your fears and your guilt to Jesus and you need to hear for yourself Jesus saying those sweet words that he said to the disciples. Peace be with you. That's the first thing that Jesus gives. The second thing we see is that Jesus gives joy. Jesus gives joy. Now, just think for a moment of all of the tears that these men must have shed over the last few days. And yet notice, whenever Jesus appears, that sorrow they'd been experiencing, it's completely turned around. Verse 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I'm sure that these men went back in their minds to less than a week before, Whenever Jesus had made this very promise, John chapter 16, verse 22, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. I think that surely raises a question for all of us Do you want joy that cannot be taken away? Do you want joy that cannot be undermined by any circumstances whatsoever? Do you want that? Well, you can have it. If you're not a Christian, do you realise Christianity is not some joyless slog through life? It is not about being able to grin and bear it and then you get your reward at the end. Christianity is about joy, the joy of learning from God's word, the joy of fellowship with God's people, the joy of knowing God's presence, the joy of serving in God's strength, the joy of having your sins forgiven, the joy of being certain of eternal life, the joy of seeing Jesus Christ work in the world around us if you're not yet a Christian, you can have that joy. It's there for the taking. And if you are a Christian, well, the lesson here is you need to ask God to give you more and more and more of that joy. And I promise you, if you have that joy, it's going to spill out and it's going to bubble out into your witness to the world around. So the second thing Jesus does to open the doors is he gives joy. Third thing we see is that Jesus gives a mission. Jesus gives a mission. Now, it would be very, very easy for me as a pastor to preach a sermon all about mission and to turn it into a great big guilt trip to say well how many people have you shared the gospel with in the last year? Why haven't you shared it with more? You need to share it with more but I don't want to do that. I don't want this to be a guilt trip because what I do want to do is I want to show you what an incredible privilege it is to be able to witness to the work of Jesus. Just think for a moment of all of the ways that God's if he wanted to, could have got the good news about Jesus out into the world. I mean he could have, for example, after the resurrection, written in, in huge big fiery letters up in the sky, Jesus has been raised from the dead. If he wanted to, today or tomorrow, he could send 20,000 or 200,000 or 2 million angels zooming around the world. He could have them blare their trumpets. He could have them share the news. If God wanted to, he could appear in a vision to all 7 billion people in the world at exactly the same time. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus appears in this locked room. He stands among ten men who are absolutely petrified. And he entrusts this job into their hands. I think surely there is something absolutely incredible about that. We should be blown away by this. Because surely we can see something of ourselves in these disciples. Are you scared? Are you nervous? Do you feel like you don't have a way with words? Or do you feel like you just don't know enough to share the good news? Well that's what these men were like. And yet Jesus sees these men. They're weak. They're nervous. They're scared. They are ordinary people just like us. And Jesus gives them a mission. And that surely is an incredible privilege. But it gets better. I want you to notice the exact words that Jesus uses in verse 22. As the Father has sent me, sorry, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, we have been going through John's Gospel for a number of years now. We've been taking different sections of the book and we've been looking at it and then we've been taking big long breaks. And one of the problems with going through a book like that is you sometimes forget some of the themes that keep on cropping up. And one of the themes that's very interesting in John's Gospel is that Jesus keeps on painting this portrait of himself as the one Who is sent. And that is one of the ways that Jesus shows that he is special. He is sent by the Father. And here Jesus is saying to the disciples, and he's saying to you, if you're a Christian, just as I have been sent by the Father, so I am sending you. Jesus is saying this news is too precious to keep cooped up in your own heart. It's too precious to keep imprisoned in this locked room. Jesus is saying to the disciples, you need to go for it. And Rather than being browbeaten into doing this, I think we should be blown away that Jesus would actually allow us to do that in the first place. I think we should be amazed that Jesus speaks to us in anything like the way that his father speaks to him. It's amazing, isn't it? And maybe this morning, you're not yet a Christian. Well, let me ask you, rather blunt question. What's the point of your life? I mean, surely there is something inside you that cries out for a purpose, isn't there? Something to define you, something to to get you out of bed in the morning. Well, here surely is the greatest purpose that you could possibly get. Just think, Of how special it would be to come to Jesus and to be entrusted with this incredible mission. Jesus gives us a mission. Fourthly, Jesus gives us a helper. Jesus gives us a helper. Now this mission it is a privilege of course but it's also incredibly daunting and I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Think of these disciples for example just think of what they are going to have to do. They need to preach the good news knowing that the very same men who plotted and schemed against Jesus and ultimately had him killed they're going to be in the crowds and they're going to be listening. They're going to be talking and they're going to be plotting the disciples need to go to people in Israel who have been hardened by year after year of unbelief. And they need to go outside of Israel to people who have never even heard of the Old Testament. The disciples are going to need to do battle. Battle against temptation. Battle against discouragement. Battle against People, in fact. People who will deliberately try to destroy the gospel and the disciples are going to have to go toe-to-toe with those men. And they're going to have to win. And so the question is, how are they going to do this? How are they going to have the courage to look people in the eye? How are they going to have the quick wits they're going to need to take on opponents in debate? Well, the answer is in verse 22. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let me be absolutely clear here. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's a person. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is he is giving a picture To these men. He's reminding these men of something he's already told them back in chapter 14 and chapter 16. He's reminding them that whenever he finally goes back to heaven, he is going to send the Spirit to give them all of the help that they could possibly need. And if you want to see more of what that looks like after the service, feel free to turn forward a number of pages. You'll reach the book of Acts, go to Acts chapter 2. And you'll see exactly what happened when the Holy Spirit finally came. These men, who are terrified at the moment, they're locked away in this room. Seven weeks later, they're absolutely transformed. But we also want to realise this morning, Jesus hasn't simply sent the Spirit to the disciples. He has sent the Spirit to us as well. And so, if you're a Christian... I want you to know this morning, you may not be the best with words. You may not be the most naturally courageous person in the world. You may actually be a very new Christian and you don't have very much of of, of the truth about God nailed down in your mind yet. But far more importantly than any of those things, you do have one thing. Or rather, you have one person God the Holy Spirit. And if you are a follower of Jesus, He is with you, He is in you, and He equips you in every possible way for the mission that Jesus has given you. So, we've seen four things that Jesus gives so far He gives peace, He gives joy. He gives a mission. He gives a helper. Fifthly and finally, he gives a mandate. He gives a mandate. Now, this is something we see in verse 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Forgiven. Now, that is a difficult verse. And so, what I want to do first of all is I want to tell you what this verse doesn't mean, and then I want to try and help you think about the context of this verse. And hopefully, by getting the context of the verse, we're going to understand what Jesus is actually getting at here. So, first of all, What doesn't this verse mean? Well Jesus is not saying here. That these disciples. Or anybody who comes after them. Is going to have what we might call. The power of absolution. He is not saying. That they have the power. To absolve people. Of sins. And I'm going to give you several reasons why that is not the case. Uh, first of all, um, back in Mark chapter 2, Jesus, do you remember, he he speaks to a paralyzed man and Jesus announces that he has the authority to forgive sins. And do you remember there were Pharisees gathered in that house and they were absolutely furious because these men knew, because they studied their Old Testament, they knew Only God can forgive sins. And they were putting the pieces together in their head and they're thinking to themselves, well, if Jesus is claiming that he can forgive sins, well, then what is Jesus doing? He is claiming to be God himself. And and Jesus, he's able to read their thoughts. And he makes it absolutely clear that the Pharisees are absolutely right they're right. Only God can forgive sins. And if only God can forgive sins, and I'm saying that I forgive sins, then I am claiming to be God. Well, these disciples, they were very important men. They were very precious men to Jesus, but they were certainly not God. Only God can forgive sins. Second reason why this cannot be referring to absolution is we actually read about these men In the book of Acts, we read about what they did next. We read about how they preached. They told people how they can be forgiven through the name of Jesus. But we never actually read about them absolving someone's sins. Not once. And surely, if that is actually what Jesus means here, surely we would read about it at least once or twice. the book of Acts. But we don't. Third reason why it can't be referring to, to priestly absolution is you read the letters in the New Testament and you never see it. And some of those letters are written to churches about how churches are to be run. Some of the letters are even written to ministers And they're telling those ministers how they are to go about pastoring their people. And yet, not even once does Paul, or anybody else for that matter, explain how or when a minister is supposed to absolve someone of sin. Not even once. Surely this cannot be what Jesus is referring to. And so the question is, what does Jesus mean? Well, The most important question you can ask of any passage that is hard to understand is this. What's the context? What's happening before the verse? What is happening after the verse? And so what is the context of John chapter 20 and verse 23? What has Jesus just been speaking about? He's been speaking about mission. And surely... What Jesus is doing here is he is giving these men reason to be bold and confident as they take this good news out of the locked room and into the world. He is reinforcing for them this message that you are bringing. It's not something you've come up with yourselves. It's my message. It's backed by my authority. were to think about it this way. A king might appoint an ambassador to go and speak with the leaders of another country and that ambassador will deliver his messages to the government of the other country and he'll do so with boldness because he knows this is not my message, this is the message of the king. And some messages are so, so vital, so, so important that they need to come with that kingly authority. And so it is with the message that these men are going to share. They are going to say to people, if you follow Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. And if you reject Jesus, your sins will not be forgiven. And it's inevitable, isn't it? that some people are going to ask these disciples, well, who do you think you are? How dare you tell me something like this? What gives you the authority to make that judgment? And the disciples can say, wait a minute, it's not me. It's the message of the king. And you know, pastorally, this is something that every single minister And every single elder knows all about. Sometimes we have to deal with people. Who have chosen to reject Jesus. Maybe they say to us. "Well, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. I reckon that I have done enough. Okay I'm not perfect. But God's going to forgive me. Because I've lived an okay life. Whenever we speak to someone like that. We don't equivocate we're not rude but we don't mince our words we say no you're wrong you won't be forgiven you are on the path to judgment and when we say that we are not coming up with that ourselves we are not deciding the fate of that person but what we're doing is we are relaying the judgment Of the court of heaven. We're speaking with the authority of the king. Then there's other times, someone is a Christian, but they've committed some sin that they're absolutely ashamed of. And they say to the minister or they say to the elder, God could never forgive me. This time I've gone too far no hope. And again we don't mince our words but this time we smile and we say no you're wrong. We ask them have you trusted in Jesus that he died on the cross for your sins? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you and to make you clean? And they say yes. What do we say next as ministers or as elders? Well, we don't say, well, great, hopefully then you'll be forgiven. No. We say, great, in that case, your sins are forgiven. Because we know that we are speaking with the authority of the king, and we know that he has told us that in that situation, someone's sins are forgiven. Jesus gives us a mandate to speak with that boldness. Now, I realise that applies most directly to ministers and to elders, but there is an application for all of us. Whenever you hear me or Mark preaching the message of forgiveness, Or whenever you're talking to Colin or to Robert and they tell you that Jesus has dealt with your sins, the application is you can believe it. You can believe it because it's not something we've come up with, but it's the message of Jesus himself. Jesus gives forgiveness. And Jesus gives these disciples five things. He gives them peace. He gives them joy. He gives them a mission. He gives them a helper. And he gives them a mandate. And he gives these same things to us. And surely all of these five things, they feed into each other, don't they? Jesus, he gives us forgiveness. What does that forgiveness do? It feeds into our peace, doesn't it? Jesus gives us a mission and as we grasp the significance of that mission, what does that do to us? It gives us more and more joy and the more joy we have and the more peace we have, well then the more excited we are about our mission. And all the while there is God the Holy Spirit and he's dwelling in us and he's changing us and he is stirring us up and he's helping us. And what's the end result? The end result is that the doors are opened and the gospel goes out, doesn't it? Let each of us pray that we would be moved by these gifts that God gives us. And let each of us pray that we would be able to go out to our colleagues, to our families, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our classmates. And bring this incredible message those who are starved of hope let's come before God in prayer